Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Hey, that's great news for us, and that's great news for you. That's great news for me. And um, here's the deal. You may have walked into church this morning, and you feel defeated um, because of sin and just things that keep slipping up in your life. And if you don't get anything from the message today, there's good news. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. I love that verse because it means that not only on this side of heaven do I have to walk around feeling guilty, shame, defeated. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Also, on the other side of heaven, there's no condemnation for eternity to those who are in Christ. So when Satan or anyone wants to identify us because of our shortcomings, our sin, we can trust in that verse. Man, I'm excited about today. I'm excited to speak with you guys. It's something that the Lord's been kind of dealing with me um, over the past couple weeks. And uh, so this is just kind of, I'm sharing with you guys some of the things that goes on in my life and how Jesus speaks to me. Uh, today's July 4th. I'm excited about that. Here at Peavine, we're going to do what we do best. We're going to baptize people and celebrate their new freedom in Christ. And we're going to shoot fireworks and celebrate our freedom in this great country we call America. So let's do it. Y'all ready? Hey, one of the greatest battles in the American Revolution probably wasn't even a battle at all. It was a defining moment, though in the American Revolution, and it's when General George Washington marched 12,000 of his men 18 miles northwest of Philadelphia up to a place called Valley Forge. And um, they had just been had some success and gained a new confidence in the battles of Brandywine and Germantown. Even though they lost the battle, they entered Valley Forge where they camped for the winter between of 1777 through 78. They went into camp with a new confidence. Now, they were, had a shortage of rationings, shortage of food, and they weren't dressed for that harsh winter. Even though 12,000 marched up, even though they marched up, the, um, they were far enough to keep pressure on the enemy, yet far enough to keep away from surprise attack. Their greatest enemy wasn't their enemy at all. Without shots fired, um, without any surprise attacks, they lost 2,000 men due to an enemy within the camp, and that was disease and sickness. And as Christians, we can relate to that because sometimes we think that the greatest enemy, you know, we, we, 
the greatest enemy. We've got three of them. There's the world. That's our external foe. There's Satan, the infernal foe. And then the greatest enemy, though, is the internal one. And a lot of times that's our flesh. It's the enemy within. So today we're going to look at how to win the war within and win the war against our flesh. And the Apostle Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 7. And it's really the battle between our faith and our flesh. This is a passage easy for me to relate to because I understand the struggle between my flesh and my faith. And, you know, here's, here's the thing. The Apostle Paul's pretty transparent in this passage, 7, 15, 8 through 1 as you're getting there. But Paul's pretty transparent in this. Um, and you know what they say about transparency, like confession's good for the soul, but it's bad for the reputation, and Paul wasn't worried about his reputation. He was worried about his soul. And as Christians, we should take note of that. It ain't about our reputation, because reputation is just what people think about us. We should be more concerned about our soul than our reputation. And so here's Paul. 7, 15. For I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to, but I do what I hate. Told you you could relate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it's sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man am I who will rescue me from the body of death. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So then my mind, I may myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. 8.1 Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Man, I love therefores in the Bible. Anytime you run into a therefore, you need to go back to the previous chapter or two and figure out what it's there for. Paul's talking about a struggle that's within him. And that's a hard passage to read because he's going, what I want to do, I don't do. What I do, I hate. I want to do the good things I want to do. I get lost in that. You can sense the struggle in it. Paul's talking about the war between the Holy Spirit and his flesh. And we know this, that even after we're saved, every time I counsel a student when they accept Christ, I want them to be sure that they know that they're saved. 
Because the rubber hits the road the next day when they go to school after a Wednesday night service. You know, a lot of times people come to Christ, they think when they come to Christ, they're going to be able to go without sin. So the next day they're instantly defeated. And what I want to do is I want to tell a student, hey, it's important for you to know that you're saved. Because when you know that you're saved, the Holy Spirit has a way of speaking to you. And the Holy Spirit will say, nope, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. This isn't the way I should be living. So when a 13-year-old comes to faith in Christ and they're 18 and they're living in sin, I mean, students that come, these are second and third generations of kids that have not grown up in church. So how are, how are they going to really learn and understand and grow in the Word of God without the church? I want them to know that they're saved so that when they find themselves in sin, it's, nope, I know who I am. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And that helps us all get back on track and get back to where we want to be. Um, Paul mentions that these two, the law of God and sin, are at odds with each other. You know, there's nothing wrong with the law of God. The law of God reflects his character. But we can't be saved by the law. The law just shows us the need for a Savior. What do I mean by that? Well, look at some of the Ten Commandments. All right, I'm, I'm not going to ask you guys to raise hands. How many of you guys ever told a lie? How many of you ever told a lie? Right? We know that breaks God's commands. Right? Somebody that breaks God's commands is a what? That lies is a what? He's a liar. Yeah, he's a sinner, but he's also a liar. Thou shalt not steal. How many of you have ever stolen anything? I know. That's one people are hard to, hard to admit. You know, I'm a youth pastor, and I've stolen before. Okay? All right? I still miss Pat's scissors all the time. Miss Pat works in the office. I steal her scissors all the time off her desk. They'll go missing for months. But somebody that steals is a what? He's a thief. Somebody said stealer. He's not a stealer. He's a thief. <laughs> Don't raise your hands. How many of you have ever committed adultery? Uh-oh. Don't raise your hands. But we'd all raise our hands because... Jesus says, if you've committed adultery in your heart, you're an adulteress at heart. We've broken God's commands. Committed murder? Hey, you know, we got the security in the back, right? Jesus again says, if you've had hatred towards someone, you've committed murder with your heart. We realize that we can't keep God's commands. Paul's saying there's nothing wrong with God's commands. It reflects God's character. And in this passage, he's showing us that we have to have a Savior, Jesus, in verse 25. He just starts praising Jesus because he realizes that without Jesus, there's no way to meet what the law requires. Just because 
you've been saved doesn't mean that there's not sin within you. It's in your flesh. Because you went a little ways without Jesus as your Savior. And even though that factory that's within you isn't producing sin anymore, there's a remnant still there. That's why sometimes our language still comes out because we cussed in high school or some of the old habits that we did back in the day, they still come out because the flesh is still within us and the flesh is a real threat. Um, the thing that you got to take note of is this. Paul wasn't comfortable with sin. And we got to think about this. Paul says that he's a wretched man. Like, we don't consider the Apostle Paul a wretched sinner. But I'm going to tell you this. The closer a person is to Jesus, the closer a person is to Jesus, the more in tune they are with their moral state. And you show me a Christian, you show me a Christian that claims to be a Christian and claims he's close to the Lord but it's comfortable with sin. And I'll show you somebody that might not be saved. Sin has no place in our life. Like we've got to deal with it. Paul dealt with it. Paul had it, but he hated it. Considered himself wretched. Hey, here we go. Here's how we're going to win the war within. One, we're going to realize, you got to realize you're only human. You're only human. Um, my family and I, we have a little pontoon boat, and I got it last year. New to boating. I know some of you guys grew up uh, using a boat. Well, that's a learning experience for me. I've learned a lot of expensive lessons on a boat. Because y'all know what boat stands for. Bust out another thousand. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of mistakes you can make on a boat, you know. A lot of mistakes happen at the boat ramp. Um, you guys have seen the videos, cars backing down. Luckily, that's not happened to me. I'm going to knock on some wood. Maybe I just need to pray really hard about that because that would be embarrassing. Because at the boat ramp, everybody's looking at you. They're criticizing you. They're watching if you can back up a trailer or not. Well, I'm a McCoy. I've been backing up a trailer for a long time, you know. Don't, don't mess with me. But... You got to realize you're only human. Owning a boat, you got to realize you're human. You're going along, all of a sudden you get in shallow water, you're going to damage a prop. It, it's not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. Don't tie your boat up properly to the dock. You're going to have a leak in one of the tunes. You know, bust out another thousand. Yesterday, Chrissy and I were out on the, on the water and uh, we're out on the sandbar. We've got Gracie. Gracie had a new friend, a girl she just met. She works at a water park as a lifeguard. And a uh, new friend was with her. And, you know, we're trying to be the light of the world and all this. And um, we're on the sandbar. Janie's in the boat with us. And um, it's time to pack up and go. Well, you know, I got my motor trimmed up. I'm in like two and a half foot of water. Things are good. I'm easing off the sandbar. And as soon as I get to deeper water, I hit the throttle. I heard clunk, clunk, clunk. 
I'm like, what was that? So I go into neutral, I run to the back, look at the prop, thinking I've left the anchor down and the rope's all tied up. Wasn't that? Out of the corner of my eye, way back, I saw my pontoon ladder sinking. You know? Hey, that'll ruin your day as a boat owner. Right? You drop a uh, a $200 ladder down in the depths of the water and spend five, ten minutes swimming on the bottom trying to find it because it costs $200 and you know you got to go find one. It, it can ruin your day. It doesn't matter what, kind, what the weather looks like. It doesn't matter you're spending time with your family. It doesn't matter if it's, that it's the weekend of the 4th of July. It can ruin your day. But I've come to the realization as a boat owner, I'm, I'm only human. Those mistakes are going to happen. As a Christian, we can relate. Because as a Christian, we realize, you've got to realize like Paul. Paul realized, hey, I'm only human. You know, there's, there's justification. That's the moment you get saved. You're justified. You can stand before God and boldly approach him. Right? As if you've never sinned. But there's sanctification, and that's the process. This is where Paul is. This is where we are as Christians. Like, we're not there yet. Because as long as we live in this body, this earthly body, this body of death that Paul describes, there is going to be sin. And we've got to realize one thing. We're only human. Paul realized this. And he realized he was helpless without Jesus. And um, so he's relying on him. Paul says in verse 18, For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. You know, Romans 3.23 tells us this, like we know this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The law simply points us for the need of a Savior because we're only human and there's nothing we can do about our sinful condition. Which, that leads us to our next point. Hey, just because you're only human, that's no excuse. At some point, we've got to stop making excuses. In this passage, Paul isn't making excuses for his sin. Um... Paul wouldn't have been considered a wretched sinner. But because he was so close to Jesus, he knew exactly how sinful he was. And he saw sin for what it was. It's sin. Um, Christian and I were on vacation. And it's funny what people talk about when they're sitting in the pool to strangers. You know, we're sitting there and, and um, a couple of weeks ago, we're on vacation and we're sitting in the pool, and there's an older couple and a younger couple, and the older couple's talking about their church, talking about this and that. And man, they're just talking loud, you know, and we're just sitting there. And um, then they start talking about a reality show that both of them watch, both couples watch. And the older couple, which were churchgoers, they, they were school teachers. Like, I got their whole life story, but they started talking about their guilty pleasure of a reality show. And I'm thinking... 
That's a lame excuse. You know, we use the words guilty pleasure sometimes as if, hey, I'm trying my best here, but I deserve to have a little bit of fun, you know? Guilty pleasure. It sounds kind of good, but it's not. It's an excuse for sin. And as long as we're making excuses, as long as we're making excuses for our sin, we're never going to grow in our relationship with Christ. Guilty pleasure. That's an excuse. Some say, well, I'm thankful. I'm just thankful for God's grace. Well, if you look back, therefore, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Look back, therefore, even into Romans 6. Romans 6, 1 addresses that because Paul says, Paul says this about it. He says, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Paul says that's absurd. That's, that's what I call hogwash. That's baloney. That's no good. Going on with sin so that grace can cover us, like being a Christian and living and being comfortable with sin, is like this. Because in Romans 6, Paul talks about how we're freed from the slavery of sin. Being freed from the slavery of sin means I don't want no part of it. Paul said, I hate it. Paul says, I hate it. Going back to sin as a Christian is like a slave that for is, is like a slave that forgot that he was free, went back across the line and put himself back under slavery. That's an absurd thing to do. Make stop making excuses for sin. Call it what it is, it's sin, and then move on from mistakes. Out there on my pontoon boat yesterday, it really could have ruined my day. You know? Um, you start messing up on a boat, things start happening fast, and you're ready to sell the boat, burn the boat. Hey, plywood's at a premium price. I might sell the pontoon just to get the money for the plywood. Right? Could ruin our day. The Christian life is a good life. The Christian life is a good life. But you know that the most miserable person isn't the person that doesn't know Christ as their Savior? The most miserable person is the person that knows Jesus but walks around defeated by sin. Losing every battle because they're discouraged. When you look back at the Valley Forge where George Washington's men, that was a time where they got up on that hill and Washington had um, Baron Von Steuben train his 12,000 men to be better at combat, to be better at mobilization, better tactics. By the time they left, they not only had confidence, but they had the skill to back it up. They were an organized fighting machine. And, and hey, that's what I want for you today. You come in here and you feel like you've been beaten up and bullied by sin. I want, you know, Jesus wants you to live, leave here with a new confidence that you can overcome it. Um, but we got to move on from mistakes. We also got to remember there's an enemy named Satan. And in Revelations 12.10, Revelations 12.10 refers to him as the accuser of the brethren. 
And Satan accuses us. His job is to accuse us day and night. Because Satan wants us to be motivated and paralyzed by guilt and shame. That's where Satan wants you. Because he knows when he's got you beat there, even though he's lost the war, he can still win some battles. You know, I'm thankful for the used to's in my life. I run into old friends and they talk about what we used to do. Nathan, I can't believe you're in ministry. Remember what you used to do? And used to, I was embarrassed about my used to's. But not anymore. I kind of embrace them. You know why? Because they're what I used to do. I've moved on. Like, as Christians, we've got to move on. You know, Paul says that sin in this passage is present with me. In the middle of that, he shifts. And he, he realizes this. He, he's teaching us this. That we're no longer identified by our sin. But sin's still with them. We're identified by who we are in Christ. And that leads me to my fourth point. We got to know whose we are. We got to know who we are. You know, growing up in my house, every time I left the house, my mother would tell me, my brother or sister, remember who you are. Remember who your father is. And she wasn't talking about my dad. She was talking about my heavenly father. Because when you know who you are and whose you are, it helps keep that moral compass kind of in check. As a kid, I, I know this. I walked out rolling my eyes. I know. I know. And, you know, every time my kids roll out, whether it's my sixth grader, well, she's going to seventh grade, Janie, or my 18-year-old going off to college. Hey, you know, remember, remember who your father is. I don't even have to say it. Before they walk out, I'll go, hey. And they'll go, I know, Dad, I know. Remember who your father is, and you're not talking about you, Nathan McCoy. You don't care that you're the youth pastor at Peavine. You know, we know, we know. But, man, what a great motivator. What a great motivator for us. And Romans 8, 1 tells us, if anyone is in Christ, there's no condemnation. I don't have to worry about my past. I don't have to worry about my sin. Like Jesus paid for it, I can stand confidently. You can boldly approach Jesus no matter what you're struggling with today because of who you are in Christ. Dude, that'll fire me up. Hey, today we get to baptize three people. I love the message of baptism. Paul talks about it in Romans 6, just the chapter before this. When people stand in the water, they're standing there and they're saying, I believe Jesus died on the cross. You see the symbolism of the cross? It's also a statement. And they're telling the world, which the audience represents the world. The statement's this. My sins have been forgiven. I don't have to worry about them anymore because Jesus paid them in full. You go under the water. 
It's a statement that you believe Jesus died. It's a tomb of water. That's baptism. The symbolism of baptism is so important. It's a tomb of water. You can't breathe underwater. But my favorite part of that is my old life is dead and gone. You know what I like about that? You guys didn't know me before I was following Jesus. I can't return to something that's dead. It's an old way of life. And when I come out of the water, when you come out of the water in baptism, it's a symbol that you believe Christ rose again, but it's also a statement that you're not only saved from your sin, but you're saved to follow Jesus Christ. It's the picture of repentance. Yeah, you're only human, but there's no excuses. And you've got to move on and move towards Christ. You've got a new direction, a new purpose, a new master. And it's not the slave master of sin. He don't, that master don't own you anymore. You are in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave his life for me. Second Corinthians 5.17 says this. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old has passed away, and yet new has come. Yeah, sin still has our flesh. It's still there. But we've got a new identity, and that's in Christ. Let me ask you this. Are you a new creation? Are you a new creation in Christ? You know, a new creation requires change. If there's no change in your life, there's no change. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's who we are in Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... Paul realized this. About verse 25, he starts praising Jesus. Because he realizes that just like quicksand, you know, hey, in the 80s, there were two things I was afraid of. Lockjaw and quicksand. Right? I grew up in the country. Lockjaw because I remember walking around stepping on nails. And if I stepped on a nail, my mother made me get a tetanus shot. I remember, I remember wearing those cheap Sears shoes and nails going through mine and my brother's feet. We wouldn't tell mama because we didn't want that shot. We never met anybody with lockjaw. But quicksand was another fear. And as we'd go out and play in the mud and the muck and the mire, we always, you know, had this fantasy about quicksand. I think we watched too much old Tarzan shows. But you know what the thing about quicksand is? The more you struggle, the deeper you sink. Paul realized that with sin. And that's why he needed Jesus. That's why he started looking up and calling out to the one that can pick him up out of the mud and the muck and the mire, the junk. Do you know Jesus is your Savior? First thing you got to do is, A, admit you're a sinner. 
You know, you guys already admitted that. We got a room full of lying, lying, thieving, adulterers, and murderers at heart. Stand before God. Stand before God. How's that going to play out? Well, God's a just judge. He's a righteous judge. Like, a penalty has to be paid. The Bible says the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've already admitted our sin. But you've got to accept Jesus. Because Jesus walks in and he goes, nope. Nathan, yep, he's that guy. But I've paid the penalty for him. A, you've got to admit you're a sinner. B, you've got to believe Jesus died on the cross. And he did that for you. You've got to see, confess your sin. Call out to Jesus. Make him Lord and Savior of your life. If that's you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And it's not the prayer you pray. It's the intent of your heart to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. And it goes like this. If everybody would, just bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross. And I want you to be my Lord, my Savior. Thank you for saving me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Nathan, for that incredible message. I love that passage in Romans chapter 7. Paul said this, Oh, what a wretched man I am. And man, if you're anything like me, um, man, I know my weaknesses. And sometimes knowing my weakness is defeating, you know, because I, I do those things that I don't want to do. And the things that I know I should do, I don't do those. And so sometimes you may have the tendency or the desire, or the temptation from the enemy to just kind of give up. That's not where God wants us to be. If you are in Christ, you're, you, you are not defined by your old life. And you can live in right relationship and in community with Jesus. And um, man, what an encouragement this morning. What a challenge um, to, uh, to, to do what God has called us to do. And maybe you here this morning, you're watching with us online, and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. It's as simple as understanding that you're a sinner. I mean, everyone's willing to admit that, right? We've all done things we shouldn't do. You've got to be willing to admit that. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross pays for all of your sins. The ones you've done in the past, the ones that you'll do today, and the ones that'll take place in the future. His blood pays for all of those sins. And you have to confess Him as your personal Lord and Savior. It really is that simple. And so, if God has spoken to your heart and you need to give your heart and life to Christ this morning, in the quietness of this moment, right there in your living room or your vacation uh, home or wherever you are, I invite you to tell God this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. God, I'm asking for your forgiveness. 
I'm asking you to come into my heart, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I want to tell you, welcome to the family. We're excited um, for you, but you can't do it all by yourself. We want to help you. You need to know what the next steps are on your faith journey with Jesus. And so we want to put a resource in your hands. And so if you prayed to receive Christ just now, click I Commit My Life to Christ. We've just dropped it in the chat box. And uh, if you'll click on that, we're going to ask you just name, address, uh, name, email address, and phone number. And uh, we're going to reach out to you and uh, help you take those next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. Hey, don't forget, tonight, 5 o'clock, classic car show, fireworks at dark. We're going to have hot dogs and hamburgers uh, from food vendors here for sale. Um, Choo Choo Kettle Corn is here, you, is going to be here. You're going to buy be able to buy popcorn for him is from him it's going to be an awesome event and so uh, we'd love to see you tonight god bless you we'll see you next week we hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply god's word to your daily life for the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.